There are some topics that are strictly off limits at the dinner table. Politics, religion, which Canadian football team is the best and why it is obviously the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, one of two teams in a small football league named the Rough Riders. Oh wait, that's just my dinner table. So why is it that some of our hardest truths are off the table for discussion? Like that you're scared your kid is getting behind in school and don't know how to help? Or that your drinking might be getting out of control? Or that your mom's memory seems to be slipping? Or you're worried about your relationship, that it might be falling apart when the kids leave? Or that you might be losing the business or sicker than you let on? Our culture seems convinced that going off script is unbecoming. Instead, we are rewarded for being buttoned up, perfect, or at least appearing to be, and never ever, no matter what, admitting weakness. But don't we need each other, especially when facing the most difficult moments? What do we lose when we don't talk about the hard things? And what might we gain if we do? I'm Kate Bowler, and this is Everything Happens. Today, I'm speaking with someone who leans into every hard conversation, no matter how difficult the topic. Anna Sale is a journalist, author, and interviewer on her award-winning podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, and she wrote a gorgeous book I love. It's called Let's Talk About Hard Things. Anna, my soulmate I have only just met. <laughs> Hello! I'm so glad we're doing this! I'm so glad to be doing this with you. I, really, like, I have been... Um, such a fan and admirer of the way that you like so beautifully, like somehow invite people in in a fun way to the idea that there are hard things that you're not going to have any solutions for. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the incurability of life. Do you still want to be friends? That's a weird, it's a weird tone. (laughs) I can't help you, but come on in. Exactly. The doormat. (laughs) You're right. That is the premise. Because I I immediately feel in you such an intense kinship around the love of the deep end. And I I wonder what the primary like I like how how it feels like it leads. Do you think it for you it leads with curiosity first? Yeah, I mean, I really think. You know, I've I've thought about this a lot because because people ask me where it com- comes from. And, and it's funny because I don't think of it as like having an origin. I think of it as like so just uh, part of who I am. Like I was one of those insufferable teenagers in junior high who was like, oh, small talk. I just want to <laughs> talk about the real stuff, you know, like <laughs> uh, um, let's just dig in. So I was an insufferable teenager and then I became an insufferable reporter, you know. So when you're a reporter, you know, it, it is like your assignment when you're a reporter, your 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 profession is to make sure that you are understanding what you're seeing and what someone is trying to communicate with you and then to tell the reader or the listener whether you buy what this person is telling you so so it leads what you have to lead with i'm really curious i want to understand more and i want to understand clearly so that requires both a kind of extending and saying like no no tell me more tell me more tell me more and also not flinching from that question that's like 
But are are you sure? Because I think I think maybe there's another reason you're running for office that doesn't have to do with all the, yes. you know, whatever, like yes. high minded reasons you're giving me. And so then that has extended into how I interview people about the most personal things. Yeah, I guess I've always thought, though, that my journalist friends. So, I, you know, I I write historical books and I often do interviews, but mine are kind of long form and the questions are a bit I guess I just picture them as a bit soft like which is why I'm really terrible at interviewing politicians I'm like yes those sound like your motivations (laughs) let's wrap this line of inquiry up (laughs) tell me more about your kids (laughs) but the journalists I know they have a uh, toughness to them I I like the word unflinching but I feel like they're better at the like the chipping away questions than I think many of us are trained to do for me, at least as a historian, but certainly as friends. I wonder if journalists have like a couple, well, I'm sure they have many extra skills that they've learned in this storied profession, but like, is there a special thing that you were trained to do as a journalist that is maybe different from a lot of people's soft or regular friendship skills? Yeah. I mean, I think like, think of it like, you know, the first press events that you cover when you're coming up, at least for me, was like a crowded press conference where all of your colleagues, your competitors are all lined up. The person who has information to tell you something is standing in front of you. They tell you the information. And then your job is to shout. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, and like shout a question that's like as direct um, as it and short and like to the point as you can. That was the muscle I really developed early with with being a reporter was like, I have to use my elbows to get the information. I've like sort of come back around through doing personal interviews and personal storytelling to really trying to infuse my journalism with the idea that every interview I do is a relationship. It's not only extractive. You know, I think a lot of media is like, tell me what I need to know and then I'm going to move to the next story. When you're doing one episode or one interview, like we take a lot of time on our show to make sure the process is really clear to the people who we're having on, like what will happen to this tape? You know, when will I hear when the episode is coming out? You know, and also like if it's an emotional interview, just taking those few minutes when you're wrapping up to say like, what are you doing for the rest of the day? Are you going to be with somebody else? You know, just like. Mm-hmm. showing that care, which is not a skill that you're sort of taught to sharpen as a reporter, because that somehow is seen to be getting too cozy or something. But I, I think of like melding those two styles is is my ideal way of, of doing the kind of journalism that I do. Elbows and heart. <laughs> I, I like a heart plus elbow combination. <laughs> I'm also that way as a wife. So uh. <laughs> what, what's our motivation here for not doing these dishes? Is there, is there something we can, can find as a point of commonality? Because I, I do think um, part of your trademark, like you're one of the things that's so distinctive when you, to me at least, when you you enter into a conversation is that there's an intensity but a softness It reminded me sometimes of like the intimacy people can have with really close friends where they're able to lovingly call. I mean, there's only a few people we feel comfortable openly calling bullshit on each other's stories, but 
it is wonderful to be able to um, skip a little bit of the like the preamble and the self-justification and ask maybe the the harder question underneath the initial question. It, uh, mm-hmm. You're definitely an elbows and heart kind of person, which makes you so fun to listen to. <laughs> People tell you their stories and they really get into the layers of um, really complicated subjects. I wondered about the first time that you felt like you had a life that needed explaining because I can remember mm-hmm. mine. The first time I realized I was off script uh, was when I felt like I had to explain why I got sick. Like, oh no, it's it's colon cancer. It wasn't something I ate. Like I was already preempting a response as if there was already a conversation happening between me and whoever was listening. And I wondered if divorce was like that for you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that for me was when it happened. When I first had that, my first moment in life where it was like, oh, I've got to like repackage this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's in a way that I don't feel proud of. So what do I do with that? Hmm. Not a way that I ever saw coming. And I think, I think for me, that was the, that was what was so difficult about making the decision to end our first marriage with my ex, because for me, that was just like, I was not a person who left a marriage in my mind. I was not a person who got divorced. And because that to me had so much meaning around you know, well, how I value family. Family is important to me and commitments are important to me. And I'm a, I like deep relationships and marriage is like so aligned with that. And so for me, the period that was the most difficult was not after I became a divorced person or was becoming a divorced person because we decided to get divorced. It was the months leading up to that where I could feel that I was becoming a person that I didn't want to be because I was ashamed. And so I was like trying to hold, hold it together, you know, and for anyone who's been in a relationship where you're not ready to admit that it's not holding together in the way it once was, you know, just like try to squeeze tighter and tighter and make pronouncements like, well, of course, we'll never get divorced. Da, 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 da. Yeah. When you sort of look at for me, it was that I had been with my ex-husband through my 20s. We were best friends. We had sort of grown up together and fo- decided to follow our dreams together. Mm. And then what we wanted just started to sound different. That was the, the conflict. It didn't feel like we were building the same thing anymore. And that was really painful because it wasn't a thing that we could control. Like I tried. And then once I allowed that this marriage wasn't going to last forever. And we agreed together that it wasn't going to last together. And we took the steps that it takes to make that happen. I felt like I was shot out of a cannon. So the, the, the period for me after the divorce, after the papers were filed, it was like, oh, I can like let go of this heavy shame. And at 30 was like, it felt really scary because I felt like all my scaffolding had collapsed and I felt like there was no gravity because what I thought life was, so many of the details were not ground, you know, the stakes had been pulled up. Um, so that felt scary, but also like, you know, oh, maybe, yes, I will go jump out of a plane with you because I might yeah. do that now in this new yes. life. You know, who knows who this person <laughs> might be? Yeah. 
you had this really touching moment too with your dad, I thought, that gave a, like a tender kind of permission and maybe an understanding. In the midst of your embarrassment, your dad seemed to understand something about you and you about him. Oh, I, I love that story. Like I've thought back on it so many times because, you know, in our rela- in our relationships with our family, often we remember when they said the wrong thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't sound familiar, Anna. And this was a moment where my dad just said the total right thing, which was, um, you know, I was calling my parents right after sort of establishing that I was going to get divorced. And I was like crying. I was alone in my apartment. Yeah. It was like that call to your parents where you finally say, like, I need some care, you know? Yeah. Uh, I talked to my mom first and she said, you know, it's late. And she's like, let me get your dad. And I can hear him like rolling over in bed and like, he gets on the phone and and he had had a first marriage before I was born, before he married my mom. And he just said, I know exactly how you feel. And he just described, he's like, you probably are exhausted and you can't sleep. Like, just that feeling of like, ugh. Yeah. And it was just like exactly the thing that um, made me feel like I could crawl up in the fetal position and and need care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially when someone who could embarrass you like builds the bridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you're both, you're both people in that moment. I love softy dads. <laughs> the premise of your wildly popular podcast, Death, Sex, and Money, is that you draw into the light those uncomfortable topics that, that polite people feel would render them impolite. I don't mean for this to sound like an overly large question, but like, what have you discovered about people's secrets and fears and hopes when we do drag them into the light? What do you think happens when there's like that uncovering? One thing I, I thought a lot about as I was like, writing the book, because when you're doing the work of the interview, it's all sort of textured. Yeah. And it's it's just it's a conversation and you're exploring together. And and then it's like you can hear in their voice something is happening. So it was only in writing the book to go like, well, what does happen? Like, what what is that feeling that I'm hearing when you hear someone surrender something or let go of something or or feel heard? You know, I'm I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a therapist. I'm not someone who who can offer. Um, oh, you're struggling with this. Here's what might help. Like I'm yeah. not offering anything other than listening. And I think what I'm hearing is that feeling that I felt when I decided I could get divorced. It's that feeling of like, <sighs> like I'm gonna admit that this is part of me, or I'm gonna admit that there's mm-hmm. parts of me that have felt uncertain about this um, that I feel conflicted about or and it's it's just letting things be messy letting ambivalence just be and not feeling like you have to have everything buttoned up I think that that is that's tackling stigma that's tackling isolation these conversations don't fix whatever is the hard kernel of something that's causing someone pain but it means that they don't have to hold it only by themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because some of the people I talk to, you know, they are priests. So they are 
or pastors or they are offering absolution in some way and others are yeah therapists and mental health professionals and they're offering engaged listening and often advice yeah your approach it reminded me of our mutual friend graham griffith he would say uh maybe that we are structuring genuine inquiry like mm. there's like you're setting up the possibility for discovery and insight and maybe even surprise with all of your elbowy questions but like a like the big heart to let it land yeah i i like what happens in an interview when you just explain at the top like i mean i have to do this with with our show it's called death sex and money so for someone who's not aware of this program i'm like don't be alarmed uh, this is You're the like, name i am so sorry to report to you now that you are currently on a podcast called death sex and money yes i'm i'm delivering that news and then i'm saying here's why it's called that our show looks mm -hmm. at what all of us go through and can sometimes the things in life where we can feel the most alone so I might ask you about things that are personal. Um, I will ask you about things that are personal, but it's in that spirit of sharing. And someone listening might be helped by hearing you share. And then I will say something like, if I ask you about something you don't want to talk about publicly on the podcast, that's fine. But but that's what that's the sort of spirit. And and what I think that does is it moves into what you were just saying, that spirit of like inquiry together. Like we're we're co-creating something instead of this dynamic which I think a lot of people bring to encounters with journalists is like, what are you trying to like get me to say that you're going to use in a way that, you know, I didn't intend or, you know, or am I going to be interrogated here? And it's like, no, 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 we're going to have this conversation. And I will often start a question like this might not be exactly right or I might have the wrong read here. But when that happened, did you feel this way? You know, and then they'll say, yeah, or no, not at all. And then you're sort of just yeah. building this thing together. I imagine that friends often feel that way when they're like approaching the sort of searing hot center of a of like a hard truth is they're like worried that mm -hmm. like they like we crave intimacy, but it it does feel very close to get like hard to get closer and closer to the difficult center of things. I wonder whether it's easier or harder to tell the people closest to us about those difficult core truths? Do you find that your outsiderness can like open up something maybe others haven't been able to articulate before? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think it's much easier to talk to a podcast host about your interior life than it is to talk to your partner, your sister, or your parent, you know, because the stakes are different, you know? But I, I also think it's it's closeness. And then it's also like, what are the patterns that you have in that particular intimate relationship? You know, mm -hmm. like you might have a, a friendship where it's all about sort of being positive and cheerleaders and feeling like you're in each other's corner. And that can feel incredible. And it also can be tricky when you are seeing things differently or there's something that has happened that you feel weird about and you don't know how to bring up. And then there are really close relationships where it's kind of like it's all out on the table. I, I I talked to someone at the during during a uh, part of part of my reporting, and I was describing my fam my family is mostly from the American South. You know, we're very polite and nice, and sometimes <laughs> that gets expressed with through kind of passive aggressive indirect communication. <laughs> and somebody said to me, "Oh, my family, 
we're massive aggressive. <laughs> not massive aggressive. Massive aggressive. And I was like, oh, okay, that that's true. So that's not funny. good or bad. It's just different, you know? <laughs> I always crave the kind of intimacy that a question asker like you engenders. I, 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 I love it when somebody is able to maybe say the awkward, um, like whenever I have a scan, I'm always unbelievably uncomfortable if it's good news or bad news. If it's bad news, it's it's terrible and it's just awful to talk about. If it's good news, I immediately may be embarrassed that I was as nervous about it in the first place or worried that people will immediately rush to thinking that it will, you know, that the, the, the next, the scan after that won't be worse and they'll all stop worrying about me and then I'll be left alone. So either way, I'm like a mess to talk to. I, I want, though, the person who, knowing that I've got like heavy scripts on both sides, I'm so grateful, <laughs> I know, either way, is able to just like press in, even with their presence, to make enough space to say the harder, more complicated truth. I find your kind of long form um, intensity <laughs> could to be like such a such a gift and also maybe rare rarer than i thought to, rarer than i would have expected i don't want to be like look there anna there are two kinds of people people who want to be in the deep end people who want to be in the shallow end <laughs> i just want to um return to like childhood anna who i picture now as like a what's the adam family daughter where they had the serious <laughs> wednesday she had the serious bangs she was like i need we need to talk about death sex and money like just got some guys like willing to level the the hardening. Do you think that some people just have this very high capacity for the deep end and other people and are bored by the alternatives, right? Or and there's other people who just like are are just better at the weather and long form less intense conversations. If so, What's the breakdown? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I find like certainly I think there are people who like to keep it light. You know, they're they're yeah. good time guys, you know, uh, good time <laughs> gals. And that's fine. Like they're fun to be around. And then there's people who like me who like, you know, I'm a person when I do get to go to dinner parties. I, I miss them a lot. When I do get to go to dinner parties, I love to make a new friend. And I will learn a lot about that one new friend. <laughs> I know you will. Um, I know you will. Yes. Yeah. You're like, you walk away and you're like, did you know his third cousin was, had leprosy? No, I did not. I yeah, did not know that. I know. And I, that feeds me. And yeah. like, I feel like I have learned as I've gotten older, um, that maybe that person might want to talk to some other people at the dinner party too. So to try to recognize that it's, um, you know, a relationship and they might want to, you know, mingle. Um, but I, I also think that like finishing a book about talking about hard things in the midst of a pandemic in isolation from all of my work colleagues and with two little kids, um, it was hard. I found I do have a limit of talking about hard things. It's been actually this interesting learning process of like, how do I get, where else can I get energy? If like the going deep and hard starts to f just feel like I've done that too much. It's been really delightful to like get into making cookies with my kids or, you know, yeah. remembering that you can go on a walk and notice the flowers and not 
have to make it a phone call catch up with somebody that you haven't talked to for 45 minutes who's also a parent of young kids who's also struggling. <laughs> like, like, those are good, but also I, I can pace myself. So I, I do think it's like recognizing that um, that can also have its own sort of challenges, like depending on what's going on in your life. Like I imagine when you're leading up to a scan, it might be a little different to be recording a podcast episode if you're holding. Yeah worry about if this happens this and if this happens that and da 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 and then trying to talk to somebody else about their own you know thing that you really care about but you're also carrying something at the same time i like that you're trying to talk me out of my belief in the inherent superiority of people (laughs) (laughs) believe in the endless depth of conversation because i do love those people and this you know this podcast community is like full of them because so many of us are either like the people in the thick of hard things or we're like the, you know, the caregivers and the wonderful like people with really emotionally expensive loves yeah, in some way. And it sounds like the permission you're giving to that part of the population is like, it is OK to ease up. It is it OK to have frivolous <laughs> television shows. Yeah. <laughs> it is OK to not catch up with every person. Um, I'll, I'll think, I'll think about it, Anna. I'm not convinced, but I'll think about it. For those of us who are not deep dip people, not the deep end people, they're over in the other nicer side of the pool where they can sit on the edge. Do you have any advice for people who might want to start practicing having harder conversations in their life? Mm -hmm. There's maybe some, some some lighter skills that they can develop so they can start mm-hmm. to feel a little more comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, and I've had to practice this myself, like it starts with being aware with when you catch yourself wanting to say something comforting, like it's going to be okay, or I'm sure we can figure out a way through this or immediately go to the, like, you know, somebody's talking to me about being frustrated about, some work thing or some money thing in their life. I am one of those people who immediately will go to, well, send me your resume. I'll help, I'll help you, you know, like, um, (laughs) and that that's a useful and loving impulse. It's like, how do I make you feel better? Mm -hmm. Um, But what, what that does is you're short circuiting what they're trying to express to you. They're trying to express a feeling. And the reason that I immediately go to like, what is the thing that I can offer that will, staunch the bleeding here and help them what's the what's the thing we can do that's an impulse that i have because it makes me uncomfortable that my friend or the person i love is sad Mm -hmm. um and so just instead of immediately going to the comforting thing to just take a breath and say oh i'm so sorry it's that this sounds so hard and then maybe they they might need your solutions but you've you've allowed them to have a little space, you know, yeah. so that's like the listening piece, which is actually really hard for the it's, it's a skill and a muscle you have to build because most of us aren't taught to be great listeners. And then I think if you're if you're someone who it's hard to start a conversation about something that's been difficult for you, um, I have been really helped by a friend of mine who um, she she just introduced me to the idea of like both and 
Like I, I'll, you know, so often when we're giving a report to somebody about how we're doing, we want to be like, everything at work is great. These great things are happening and these great things are happening and I feel great. <laughs> or I'm having a really hard time because this, 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 you know, and it can, you can feel like you're sort of like, here's my progress report, thumbs up or thumbs down. And I have this wonderful friend um, who also is raising little kids and like has a big life. And she's just like, oh, both and both, both glorious and also really hard. Fine. Like, like just allowing that that can be true. And then you can, you can sort of like, oh, I'm not like giving some huge verdict on how I feel about how my life is going. That's really heavy. Um, I'm saying like, this is something I at once like, feel okay about how this is going, but I'm noticing this. You're, you're sharing what you are doing is you're letting this person you're talking to into what you're going through instead of narrating what you're going through. Yeah, it's nice. And that's what I think like true intimacy is. It's like, come along with me as I figure this out. Less full book report. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I think people would probably feel a lot more comfortable starting with there's a little of this and a little of that just to like yeah. wait wait in <laughs> as opposed to like <laughs> welcome to the winter of my discontent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That no, was an Ethan Hawk reference, <laughs> which I felt really, really good about. seems too people are feel so freighted by their differences right now just all like mm. exhausted by their differences and like political and religious and um you know responses to the pandemic all these things immediately come to mind and you you gave this lovely example in your book about george and his mm. stepdaughter about about maybe a moment of um of possibility for change that you found really touching. I wouldn't, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I love them. I was reporting this book mostly during the Trump administration, um, but I think the the political environment and the political sort of feeling of like, how do we talk to people who are different than us has just gotten harder. Um, and Pam is the stepdaughter of George. George is in his 80s. He's a retired tool and die maker in Michigan, and she is a life coach in the Bay Area. And you can sort of like picture what their politics might be just based on those demographic details. But they also had a really difficult history, like when Pam's mother married George and they moved into George's house, they didn't get along and it was really tough. And Pam wanted out of the house, had no warm feelings for George. Then they just really didn't have a close relationship in her adulthood. And then Pam's mother, George's wife, developed dementia and got to the point where she could no longer live at home. So Pam had that experience of like, oh, wait, this this person we both love and both want to give care to, it's now not, not in the home anymore. Now when I'm coming to visit, do I stay at George's house when my mom's not there? You know, so, so that alone was shifting the relationship. Yeah. So, so they talked about that. She did. George said, of course, you're going to stay when you come see your mom. Early on, during her one, her first visits to George's home when her mom wasn't there, there was a Trump rally nearby. George was a Trump supporter at the time. Pam definitely was not. And they were just like, you know, it felt like surrounded by 
their political differences and they're not they're not made up like they have different values that get expressed differently politically. But what George said to her is he turned to her and said, Pam, I just want you to know our relationship is more important to me than politics. Mm. And she said, well, thank you, George, you know, and, and it was just this establishing principle of we are in this. Let's acknowledge that there's politics swirling around us, but like, we're going to try to protect this thing. And so they would do things like Pam noticed, George didn't announce this, but Pam noticed that he wouldn't watch Fox News when she was in the house. And they would watch Family Feud instead. So they watched a ton of Family Feud. That's (laughs) an amazing metaphor and I love it. (laughs) Amazing, right? And like, and so it became a joke. They would joke about Family Feud and then Pam could even joke when she was leaving the house. She's like, you can turn on some Fox News, you know, so... So they could acknowledge their differences in a loving way. And then they it actually created space for them eventually to get to the place of George could be like, I don't understand these sanctuary cities. Like, tell me why. Why is San Francisco doing this? And they could talk about it without a sort of sense of like, let's debate this and fight each other to the ground and instead be like, huh? And mm-hmm. then she could say the same thing to him. How could you? And they could talk actually and be curious about one another. But again, they'd, they'd established that the relationship was most important. And then that relationship was there when Pam's mother died. Mm-hmm. So they could be with each other in their grief, you know, and their grief was different. You know, George lost his companion of decades and was really, really, really sad. And Pam felt, um, you know, a sort of release was was felt the release of her mother not being suffering and suffering anymore and also was really overwhelmed by the feeling of healing that being able to be with George and her mother because of her illness um, had brought into her life. So they could be with each other as they had these not the same emotions around grief, but um, they could be with each other through it. Mm -hmm. That's so beautiful. (laughs) It also sounds like there's like pre-steps to what we think of as the steps. Like if, as an academic, I always want to be like, but asking the right questions will be the first step. (laughs) It sounds like that's not what you're saying. You're just like establishing that there is something beautiful or valuable worth protecting. Sounds like it was one of the first steps. Just saying this is, this is, this is, this is important to me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that that isn't a really important step. It's like whether you're saying, I have something I want to talk about. And you want to create that space to have mm-hmm. a slower, more intentional conversation instead of like bringing something up when you're, you know, mm-hmm. unloading the groceries or something. And it just gets <laughs> yeah. tossed off. Yeah. Um, it's like ambush inquiry. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, to be intentional, it sets you both up, both the person who's like surprised by the need for the conversation and for you, if you're initiating the yeah. conversation for a little bit more success. And then, you know, you could also do it the way George did, which is to be like, I'm feeling it, feeling a a dynamic here. And I just want to establish while you're here, our relationship, I just want you to know our relationship is more important than politics. So it's, it's kind of like seeing, you know, what are the things, three steps sort of above ground level to just say, I'm so glad you're visiting. And I want to, I want to know what's going on with you. It's like giving a mission statement to the hard conversation instead of being like, 
mom, are you on medicine that you haven't told me about? You know, which is <laughs> no, different. Yes, totally, that you haven't told me about, which is now sounding like an accusation. Well, instead of that, it's saying like, it's saying, here's why I'm asking this. I've, I've noticed this and this, like, are you, how are you doing? Have you been, you know, you, are you seeing the same doctor? And just like, tell me. And the reason I'm asking is because I'm, I'm worried about you. You know, if it just kind of mm-hmm. creating that space for I'm here to listen, mm-hmm. you know, and it's OK. I don't know if all parents are like this, but I know my parents are like this. They have this feeling of I don't want to burden you. So I find that I often want to say, like, it's most important that I know what's going on with you because I love you, you know, and you're not I don't want to be protected. Yeah. You know, repeat that a lot. Yeah. You also do something so nice with your voice, though, Anna. I wish I could bottle, but it feels very um, it feels warm, but kind of neutral the way mm. you're the way you're letting it land. Mm hmm. I don't know how to like make you talk about your own voice because no one can talk about their own voices. I'm just like really aware that when you say it, I'm like, oh, it doesn't sound pointy. I I think that's what you're hearing. It's not conscious for me, but I think what you're hearing is when you say something that's not like. It's like infused with pity or something like that. It's that idea again of like I'm making space for you. You get to tell me what the situation is and you're not preambling a lot because i when i get nervous or if i'm approaching a, I feel this all the time in interviews is if i'm approaching a hard question i begin to explain it more because mm-hmm. i'm so worried that they're gonna feel sad answering it so then all yeah. of a sudden since the dawn of time man has sought something and they're like whoa, whoa I, got to, <laughs> I gotta get to the question but like I do think the fact that you keep your questions nice and, and short and a little a little lighter on the end feels it feels good to hear it that way. Hmm. Yeah. What I do if I have that nervousness, I now will say I'll say something like now again, this this might be too personal, but I'm wondering. X. So I'm both saying here's a little signal. That yeah. this is, and also, I want your um, uh, positive consent. You know, I want, yeah, I want, like, you don't have yeah. to answer this, but, and then I, I've like sort of set it up where I can say, did that make you angry? You yeah. know, that instead of like, that must have made you so angry or, or whatever. Like, I don't know. I'm trying to get them to sort of like say more. Like, that's my question. Say more. Podcasts are a notoriously visual medium, so I, I, <laughs> but what I, I wish people could see too, is that when you said that you like flagged, like you just like waved your hands all, all up in the air. I think that's like such a lovely way to think about like inching up to the hardest part is like just a little wave. Like, mm-hmm. I hope this, talking about this doesn't make you, nope, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say something like, let's see, I would do it like, ah, um, don't feel like you have to answer if it's too personal, but I was, I noticed that blank. Sounds like you've got mm-hmm. a bunch of these good prefaces to like a hard thing that would be good for, for all of us to practice when we want to get up close. Yeah. And to apply it to a personal life conversation, it would be something like, it's just indicating I'm thinking about what your emotional experience is here too. I'm not just 
plowing ahead. So it's like when you're having an argument with your spouse, you say something like, I hear you getting frustrated with me here. But what I'm trying to like say is, duh. You know, like Mm -hmm. it's, it's trying to say like, I'm listening. I'm not just like trying to fight when things get heated or sped up or, you know, we get flooded. So much of it is for me. It's I notice that happens when I don't feel like I'm being heard. That's when conversations go off the rails with me. I'll get defensive. I'll get like short. I'll want to shut down and stop talking, you know. Um, but if someone's continually saying, I'm seeing there might yeah. be some emotions here and I'm yeah. like, you know, yeah. but what about this? You know, like, I'll just be like, OK, I'll try to stay in it with you. I'm trying here. Yeah. And that's the heart of it. Anna makes me immediately want to call you Anna Banana. You are like you're like cheerleading the process of just saying, I won't always know exactly what to say because there's not a great script here, but I will stay in this with you. And I yeah. it's all over your work and in your book and in your podcast and in who you are. And I I feel really lucky that you did this with me today. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a real honor. Um, can I ask you one question? Yeah. Before we go, you said, I have these two feelings about scans and I have these sets of feelings if it's going to be negative and these sets of, if it's not great, if it's, if it's good news, I have these sets. And I, I want, you said like, I like those conversations where it's like the soft middle. And I'm just wondering if somebody has said a thing that feels nice when you're in that place. Someone said something perfect in this last scan. They said, um, it was before it happened when I was nervous about it. They said, either way, I can't wait to hear because we can do this together. And like it had a nice little note of anticipation. Like either way, this is all, this is all I want to hear about. Mm-hmm. That felt like it didn't, I didn't have to pre have that conversation. We could just mm-hmm. have it in real time. It's mm, really nice. Was that person a journalist? They're like, send me the breaking news. <laughs> no, totally. Oh my gosh, Anna. All my favorite people are journalists. You guys are brave in a way that I just love. <laughs> it's so scary. It's so scary to be around, but I like it. such a hard one. These kinds of connections are never easy. How do we begin to love or even connect with someone who is so different? How do we bridge these gaps? The topic, the politics, the sheer awkwardness, only highlighting the cracks in the ground under our feet. So can we bless these unnatural moments when we need so much more than talking points? when we need a special kind of grace. So here's a blessing then for hard conversations, for awkward moments, for a moment when you need to feel especially good at this very unlearned task. Here we go. Blessed are we who want to be part of the wild and beautiful experiment to find a common humanity who desire to come willingly into the gap that separates human from human. To love that family member or friend or colleague who feels like a stranger right now, especially the one you really don't understand 
or secretly want to set straight. Blessed are we, willing to stay in the gap, in the contradiction of what we can't understand, to actively work on disproving our own intuitions about one another in order to begin to see what they see. Blessed are we, swimming upstream against the current of our own frailty, our fears and emotions, and willing to be wrong for a second, to reconsider, and to hold our integrity with kindness. Desiring to see the lay of the land and play the course, instead of the one we wished it could be, and to discover that humility is what makes love possible. Make us brave, make us brief, make us full of incredibly implausible love to make these hard moments soft. Here's the part where I get to thank everyone who makes this work at the Everything Happens Initiative possible. Lily Endowment, the Duke Endowment, Duke University, Duke Divinity School, and Faith and Leadership, an online learning resource. Thank you for your generous support. And my team, Jessica Ritchie, Harriet Putman, Gwen Higginbotham, Jesse Broom, Keith Weston, JJ Dickinson, Karen and Jerry Bowler, Jeb and Sammy. Your gifts make this work shine. I'm Kate Bowler, and this is Everything Happens.